Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. We have news for you all. Yeah, we are so excited to share that as so many of you have asked for us to host more than just one week-long immersive experience, we are bringing another retreat into the fold this year. And this time we're headed to Nosara, Costa Rica, June 3rd through 10th. Yeah. We heard you. We heard you. We're doing more. We're trying. <laughs> this time, though, we're actually bringing in two of our dear friends and colleagues to come along with us and join the party. So we're going to have Ashley Torrent and Millie Murillo there. Um, and honestly, the four of us together, I don't know, our powers mm-hmm. combined, drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychotherapy, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, group processing, all the things. We'll be supporting you all in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live. It's going to be such a transformational week. I'm so excited already. And if you are interested in learning more, you can go to the link in either of our social bios or head over to Vanessa's website at vanessabennett.com. And we have payment plans available for this one as well. Yeah, definitely hit me up on email if you want to know more about that. We are super excited and we hope to see you all there. So there are some recordings, some episodes that you bring people in just as like a way to nerd out and fangirl. (laughs) And then there are some where I bring people in to just fangirl. And this is one of my fangirl moments. Um, I'm obsessed with him. I think he's hilarious. I love his content. And so I was very excited when he decided to join us on this episode. Yeah. So we have Jeff, Therapy Jeff in the house, guys. Therapy Jeff. Yeah. Jeff Gunther, also known as Therapy Jeff, is a licensed professional counselor from Portland, Oregon, who has created a huge social media following by offering relationship advice, tips, pep talks, and other resources to maximize your mental health. If y'all don't know him, (laughs) which like I can't imagine you don't because he has like millions of followers at this point, but there's a reason why he has millions of followers. He's like very good at making things pithy and funny and bringing a very human element to his work. Um, sarcasm and wit and things like this. I, I just think it makes it very accessible. Like he can take really even serious topics and make them feel like he understands on a personal level what it's about. And I think that's why people just resonate with his work so much. Yeah. I mean, I think he brings forward a lot of what people are wondering if therapists are thinking a lot of times. Like I remember you sent me this thing that he said where like, you know, when you're in couples therapy and you're saying like, well, this person's right. And, and I think as therapists, we're just so trained to not to not say that. But it's very human, right? Like that, of course, right. we have opinions. We're human beings. But I love that he just like says the thing and he does it right. in such a funny way. I know. He has this whole series of videos he did where he was like, um, what your therapist really wants to say versus what <laughs> they say. And um, I was rolling. It's just, yeah. Like I said, he humanizes the therapist. He humanizes mental health. He makes it super mm. accessible and just like, let's laugh at ourselves, which I really appreciate. You know, um, I think there's, I think there's a real lack of humor sometimes in 
just the mental health space and psychology in general. Mm. Yes, this stuff is serious. Yes, this is our lives and our souls and all the things that you and I talk about. But I find so often a lack of humor um, can actually be not that helpful. Like I, I think sometimes we have to not take ourselves so seriously in this like um, shared bumbling around that we're all doing as human beings. And I think that's the thing I probably appreciate about him the most. Yeah. Well, you guys will hear us giggling throughout this whole conversation. Yeah. Apologies. I think we laughed a lot. So you might want to turn this episode down slightly if our cackles get a little too loud. <laughs> yes. So glad. So glad to finally have Therapy Jeff himself on the podcast. <laughs> You're like yeah, beaming. Deal. Your smell's so big. I know. I've been a mega fan for a while. Actually, it's funny. I think I got served up your stuff on TikTok just randomly once. And I was like, who is this magnificent human? And I just <laughs> immediately started stalking you on Instagram and then TikTok and all the things. Um, but yeah, I'm just so glad that you you came on, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. And I'm really happy to connect with you. I've been watching all your stuff for so long. <laughs> so I'm glad that we finally get to have a talk. I love the social media <laughs> landscape, how it's kind of brought people together. Um, so we mm -hmm. normally start by asking all of our guests you know, look, we're therapists. We're interested in the background, right? Why, how are you who you are, right? Like, what's the story? Tell us, tell us how you became to be therapy job. Oh God. I feel like there's a lot of, how did I become, oh, God, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, should I tell you like the real story or yes. like just sort of like a yes. podcast? <laughs> no, we want a fucking like, podcast yes, story. <laughs> we don't know. No. All right. Mm, let's see. Well, it goes back to my mother is a therapist. Mm -hmm. She's a marriage and family therapist. So were your parents therapists either? Mm -hmm. No, no. The polar opposite. <laughs> Where did you grow up, Jeff? Uh, I grew up in Santa Monica, California. Oh, okay. so oh you are wow. like, I said that. Okay. I was like, I think he must be from California because I saw where you went to school. And, and then I was like, oh, I okay. think we got some L.A. blood in, her, in there. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Yeah, I went to Santa Barbara City College and San Diego State, then USC for my grad degree. Okay. Um, and my, I was, my mom's a therapist, but I felt really disconnected from her growing up. Mm -hmm. There was just sort of like, um, she was either like trying to navigate her um, dramatic and traumatic relationships with like the men in her life, or she was like, um, sort of like catering to my big sister who was like very good at um, asking for attention in mm. like very loud and obvious ways. And I sort of grew up um, being a little bit more reserved and quiet and sort of like behind the scenes. So I never really felt super connected with my mom. And then in college, I got this brilliant idea that like, I'm going to become a therapist in order to like really kind of like step into the shoes of what my mother does. And we'll be able to like talk about therapy and mm. won't that be nice and wonderful. And it did the opposite, unfortunately, <laughs> which is, which was really upsetting. Cause like, mm. cause I like learned about therapy and my like therapy style or like my values around therapy or the way that I like perform as a therapist is just opposite of hers. Like yeah. it turned out like, oh, we didn't connect because maybe we we're just sort of like different people and becoming mm -hmm. a becoming the therapist that I became. And she's, you know, the therapist that she is just sort of like sh was like shining a light on like the differences between us, which was mm -hmm. really upsetting for me and for her. Mm -hmm. Um 
So it was this really weird experience of like, I'm going to do this thing to like be more connected with my mom. And also like, I didn't even want to become a therapist. Like this was not the plan. The plan was to become like Mm -hmm. a 3D animator. Like I was Mm -hmm. obsessed with like 3D animation. I wanted to work for Pixar. Like that that was the plan. I get that vibe. So (laughs) yeah. So I just like wanted to be in tech and I pivoted into becoming a therapist, but like, luckily, I really enjoyed it. Like, I love being a therapist and figuring out what my style was and who my clients were. I first started out working with, like, children and teenagers. And also, like, I was going to be a preschool teacher for a second. So I learned about, like, child development in San Diego. And I taught parenting classes after I, like, got my graduate degree. And I worked in middle schools. Um, but then I got really tired not i got like really triggered i had a lot of like counter transference with the parents that i was working with Mm -hmm. um which makes sense because i have a lot of like shit with my parents Mm -hmm. so i was really having a hard time like holding empathy for all the parents being like this is your fault like (laughs) i'm here with these kids and these kids are rad like we need to work on your shit (laughs) um so I stopped working with parents and families and children because I was just like, I was getting a lot of supervision around it. And I was just like, I need to take a break from it. So instead, mm-hmm. I was just going to like work with people that are like in my age range. And I, I had also recently moved to Portland, Oregon. Um, and I was just like, all right, I'm seeing like young adults. I'm a young adult. And all these young adults were just sort of like coming in with their like relationship issues or like existential crisis. A lot of them were feeling really anxious in relationships. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to like work on like anxious attachment styles or like feelings of codependency or whatever. And I just kept on doing that. And I never went back to working with families or kids. Um, And now I work with like uh, couples, people in relationship or um, people that are like struggling in their relationships. So I did that. And then I started like renting office space to like part-time office space to therapists in Portland that turned Mm -hmm. into a big hit. So I started opening up different like office spaces. And then I created a website for all those office spaces, which is sort of like a local therapist directory. And then that turned into a really big deal in Portland. And I was like running the like biggest therapist directory here in Portland. And then I was like, okay, well I'll make a national therapist directory. And I created therapyden.com, which is just like a huge national therapist directory and then um the pandemic eventually hit and i started and i kind of like stopped doing like not stop but like pulled back on a lot of things i was doing and just focused on clients um I also decided to watch all 40 seasons of Survivor when the <laughs> pandemic. Have you gone on that journey? I have not. No. I've seen like oh bits and pieces of it. I am so not good with reality TV. I am like, <laughs> the second something gets uncomfortable or awkward, I'm like, okay, I have to change this. I'm like a fast forward <laughs> through the awkward scenes kind of person. I should really talk to my it. therapist about that. You might want to so that you can watch Survivor okay. because Noted. it is amazing. It is the best mm-hmm. reality show. And I've watched many reality shows. I love Survivor. My esthetician, by the way, was on one of the seasons of Survivor, funny enough. And she's like hot and like from L.A. And I'm like, wait a second. You were on what? Yeah. <laughs> Random side note. Yeah. I love it. I've I've met some Survivor cast members because of my like therapy draft accounts, and I'm, this is worth it. This is exactly why I'm. Looks at all Yeah, yeah. Um, so then I started watching Survivor. When I got through all forty seasons of Survivor, I had nothing else to do. But by then, I was also like fully addicted to TikTok. Yes, I think and that's what happened was... during the pandemic for most yes, of us. Yes, yeah, yeah. We all suffered that, yep. and then. 
but while I was watching, I was like, I get this. Like, I I can do this. Like, I know the formula. I see why, like, certain videos are going viral. And mm. therapy is trending, right? So I was just like... And I also have, like, a bunch of one-liners. Like, as therapists, we, like, say the same thing sometimes mm-hmm. over and over to our clients. And we know it's so good because it hits and they, <laughs> they feel it in their heart. And, you know, there's this whole thing that happens. So I was like, I'm just going to, like, say my one-liners see if that works it took like four videos to go viral and the rest is history and now i'm like unhealthily addicted to making content and getting those likes and i'm fine with it i've accepted that (laughs) your last one i I shared it with today the last one where you said um what couples therapy is like really about and you're like it's all about getting them to give you that look where like Uh they agree with you and i was dying (laughs) and i was like see this is why i love jeff because he makes this content that we all talk about like this is the uh-huh. real real that therapists talk about but you put right. it out there <laughs> yeah i'll put it out there and that's what like resonates with a lot of people i try to make like complicated sort of stuff like more concise and mm-hmm. digestible and easy to understand um so it's been a lot of fun and tiktok is like you know blown up and then i like got on instagram soon after and i think it was instagram where i've like been able to like develop a really good community yeah. with like fellow mm-hmm. therapy creators and that's been really fun Beautiful. Mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to circle back to what you were saying that you came to understand about yourself and your style of working versus your mother's style and what the difference was that you you came to see as you did this work. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I kind of wish that she was on. I don't really Mm -hmm. actually, but like (laughs) she deserves to be able to like be in this conversation. Um, but she's not here, so she can find another podcast. Uh, <laughs> to we can have her write her on for a follow up. <laughs> yes. Would you like to rebut? Right. Um, she's just sort of like classic CBT, mm-hmm. uh, which is can be like super useful, especially for the clients that she attracts. So she's mm-hmm. like real CBT narrative sort of style, mm-hmm. and I got like. At the beginning, I was, like, really into Jung and, like, the collective sort of unconscious. But then I, like, dropped into, like, more just sort of, like, lots of, like, depth work and being, like, really vulnerable in the room. So that's kind of, like, the difference is that, like, I, It's a big difference, by the way. Yeah. Because, you know, we're we're both depth-oriented psychotherapists. Like, that's our... We went to Pacifica, so we're, like, we live and breathe it. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I always say, too, it's, like, I love... I mean, CBT it's very important, right? And we're mm-hmm. trained in a lot of techniques for specific reasons, but there's only so many band-aids that we can put on bullet holes before we have to actually heal the bullet hole, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm like, yeah. And I'm also just sort of like dropping into the session in a really vulnerable way where we're like talking about the relationship between me and the client. And mm-hmm. so there's just, it's just like feels more emotional or vulnerable. I think my mom is a really good therapist, especially for like the clients that she attracts. But it's funny because like, I was really just trying to become a therapist so I can like be more emotionally vulnerably connected with her. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, oh, like she's just, she just doesn't create that space. And, you know, she's also one of those parents that maybe like has like said, I love you five times in my life or something mm-hmm. and she's just like not a very affectionate person so it's just like me craving this and then really kind of coming to terms with like that is not comfortable for her like that yeah. is not what she's able to give uh luckily i like had lots of 
I don't know, is it healthy transference or not? With like lots of like supervisors that I've had mm-hmm. that are like amazing therapists and also my own therapists to kind of like start healing this sort of like wounded child that's inside of me and like trying to figure out how to like accept where my mom is out um, and her limitations and how she loves me. Well, can we, I want to go there a little bit only because this is something Danae and I will kind of regularly talk about. We have both, we have complicated relationships with our own mothers. Um, and we, we talk about it as much as we can in a, in a social landscape. Right. Um, but we have a lot of clients and a lot of listeners that will come to us and say, you know, I really resonate with that. Or, and recently I said to Danae, there was this instance, I suppose, where I caught myself kind of almost like out of body telling my mom something like she had asked me a question about something in detail. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, like Mm. she's interested. And so I caught myself like, (gasps) like almost oversharing because I was like, so like, Oh, excited. Like I want this approval. I want this. And it was like, I was watching myself out of my body. Right. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Like pump the brakes. Mm -hmm. Cause I saw her kind of glaze over, you know, it was too much. And Mm -hmm. I just found it so fascinating because I work with so many clients, especially I think at least in my experience, women who are just, so hungry for that mother relationship. But I mean, men too, I just maybe don't talk about it as often. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, I guess, as you've started healing this, if you could share, you know, what are some of the, I don't want to say it's a technique because it's not that simple, right? But when you find yourself in that situation where you are really craving that, you know, because it's such a visceral experience for so many of us, I guess, what do you do? Like, what do you do with that? How do you soothe, you know? I cry, Mm -hmm. Uh, like Mm -hmm. in those moments, I know exactly what you're talking about, where I'm just like, oh my God, here's a glimpse or, or not even, there was like something that I've, that I went through a few months ago where I had this like really like deep, like authentic reaction where I was going through like a really difficult time. I was really struggling with something that I was experience experiencing and I was just like, oh, I just want my mom. I just want my mom to like comfort me and be there for me. And she can't, Mm -hmm. she does not have the ability to like show up in a really emotionally authentic way and hold the space that I like so badly want her to hold for that specific thing that I was going for going through. And then like a million other things that I've gone through in my childhood. So there's a lot of tears Mm -hmm. that come through. I talk to my therapist. I talk to my like other therapist friends about it, but then I have to kind of like just get in touch with the grief of like, my mom is not going to be the mom that I need her to be. And, uh, and that really sucks. And I really hate that. And it makes me really angry. And then I get stuck in the anger and that anger lasts hours, days, weeks. I don't know. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. sort of like, it just kind of like takes over and I'm like flooded by it. Um, so I try to eventually get to the point where I'm like, my mom did the best that she could do and I deserve better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I get to like my, like my mom did the best that she could do, I get stuck because I'm just like, no, she didn't. No, she didn't actually. And if I was her, then I would have done even better. And I don't have any kids because I know that I don't want to be a, a parent or something. I just like kind yeah. of like go into these. So there's like an adolescence do I it? I in know. that, right? Yeah. Like I, and oh I say God. that about me. I find myself. I get into. The, I always say it's like the 15 year old version of myself where I cross my arms, and I'm like, eh, mm-hmm. eh, 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 well, because she's the mom, and but right. And it's so funny how that mm-hmm. inner adolescence like comes out when you're in that state. And that inner adolescence is like the thing that got me to survive my 
childhood and getting mm-hmm. through the like the lack of connection that I was feeling with my mom and my dad. But um, so like the adolescent is like such a protective, mm-hmm. like comfy, familiar place for me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives me power. It gives me like strength and it makes me I feel so right being in there. Mm-hmm. But it also like disconnects me even more with yeah. my mom because that is you I'm not able to be loved or receive love when I'm in that space yeah. and and I just then I don't even care you know yeah sort of thing so I'm still working through it I think I'm going to be working through it the rest of my life I'm no I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm ever going to get mm-hmm. find some sort of like healing place on the other side or if that's even available to me yeah I think what you're saying just is so resonant Jeff and I think there's something in what happens to our inner adolescent or even our inner child when we continuously go to that parent that doesn't have that capacity or doesn't have, you know, has limitations. And as much as we long for them to be able to meet us there, we'll never be able to. Like I always say, it's sort of like going to the hardware store, attempting to get peanut butter. It doesn't live there. You can't get peanut butter at the hardware store. But... (laughs) But as long as we're doing that, we're sort of in this disempowering state and abandoning our inner child as well, because it's sort of like that reinforcing of that pain point every time we go to that hardware store and it's like, eh, nope, can't, can't give you that peanut butter that you were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do I do some of that? As you just spoke to, yeah, you deserved that a hundred percent. That was mm-hmm. what you deserved. And Unfortunately, the hand that you, many of us were dealt was that we didn't have um, a parent with the capacity to offer us that, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and I've had many conversations with her about mm-hmm. this. And she just, the like, the shame that she gets hijacked by, like mm-hmm. the parental shame, yeah. I have no idea what that feels like, but that looks like the worst shame yeah. or like a top three worst shame is like parental shame where she cannot... She cannot talk. She cannot access. Mm. And she gets really angry. Defensive. And, she then, and she's just super defensive. Mm-hmm. And then we get into a whole thing about it. So I get hijacked. She gets hijacked. Mm. And we have a really difficult time navigating this. And because of our issues that we have not been able to, like, we've been trying to resolve them for, like, 20 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the whole time I've been a therapist. Um, we've taken a break from talking and trying to resolve it. So we haven't talked for like eight or nine months. Mm. And interestingly, that's like when like all of my social media stuff, like therapy Jeff mm. started to just like go viral. And I, I know through like other people in the family that she just does not like therapy Jeff. She is not a fan. <laughs> uh, can you believe it? <laughs> We're like, what? I know, but right? you know what though? Like, I feel it, that like I what? can, I, I can feel that I don't know her, but I can sense that, you know, there's something in that. I don't know if that's like confronting for her, if it's a mirror that she doesn't want to look in, right? Like the, the difference in who you are and how you present yourself is on full display. I mean, there's so many components to it that I'm sure that part of her is just like so activated by it. So activated. And she watches every single thing I do. Not surprising either. Yeah. Which makes sense. And part of the problem is that like, <laughs> which is funny. Neither does yours today. <laughs> huh, interesting. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't think that she should watch. I think it's like incredibly triggering right. for her. And yeah. every now and then I'll talk about my family and sometimes I'll talk about her specifically 
I'm not like trash talking her. I'm just like talking about my relationship with my mother is, you know, and I'll kind of like give little hints about it. And she doesn't like my version of the story, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's, and she, again, like she's defended, but she's kind of like, she's told me even before we stopped talking for a while, she's like, um, I don't want you to ever talk about like our relationship publicly and what that, how, what I hear when she's like the message that she's sending is like, I don't want you to ever tell your truth. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to ever tell anybody what your experience is. That's not okay. Um, so I like eventually was just like, no, I'm going to say like, I'm going to talk about what my experience is. And if she likes it or doesn't like it, then that's something that she can process on her own. What did Anne Lamont say? If people wanted you to tell a better version of the story, they should have behaved better. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's, you know, it's really interesting hearing you say that in a lot of ways you came fully into your power in a public way when Mm. you sort of, um, you know, put a boundary up in in terms of your relationship for a while. Because I think that happens so often there's a little bit of like what would mom say about this or what are you know even if it's like i don't know people in my community are gonna think about this but when we sort of say sort of say at some point i don't care anymore i'm gonna be myself and mm-hmm. let myself be seen mm-hmm. yeah i think that there can be a severing of those relationships at least for a while sometimes but sometimes that's necessary to really step into a capital s self right Yeah, exactly. But it's brought like, so like the therapy Jeff videos is fun and all the like, uh, difference I'm making or the attention I'm getting or like the people like telling me that they're like, so positively affected and everything. Like, I love that. But it's also created an even bigger wedge between me and my whole family, actually, Mm. you know, so like, most of the people in my family are not fans. And it's that sort of like when somebody in the family is just like, here's my truth or here's my version or here's what happened mm-hmm. that doesn't agree with like the family narrative that mm-hmm. everybody has written besides you. Yeah. And it's and it's like my sister is also like, my sister is a actor and comedian and she wrote like a one woman show about her childhood, our childhood, but her version of our childhood. And that was like stamped and sanctioned by my mother. Like my mother enjoys that version (laughs) of our family. And so I have like a different version, which is not enjoyable for them. So yeah, it's been uh, difficult. But I think this is also what so many people experience when they start to break out of that whole to be honest, kind of toxic narrative that we have around like, you know, don't air the dirty laundry. Don't let people see the skeletons in your closet. We don't tell anybody about our business, you know, and I will say um, generationally, I've seen that so much with like my grandmother and my mom's generation in particular, right? Um, Mm. This idea of like, we got to keep a face, you know, with the, mm-hmm. it matters what people think about us. And one of the things that I've started to see, at least like Gen X, millennial, these generations is like, no, fuck that. Cause our yeah. mental health is suffering. <laughs> like w- This is not working mm-hmm. for any of us, right? To pretend mm-hmm. that we're something we're not or pretend that we're something we, you know, we're not something we were or whatever. And so I appreciate that because I think you're also giving people permission to share their truth. You're giving people permission to be like, no, this is my story and I'm going to tell people. Yeah. And there's, so there's, there's also like, you know, if you have big followings on social media, there's going to be a certain amount of people that do not like you. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> and especially on TikTok, I, by the way, TikTok is oh, ruthless. On TikTok. What oh is my God, up so with that? Brutal. 
I don't know. It, it, it's but it's it's definitely TikTok where I like Instagram feels like a much more warm and fuzzy place to me. Agreed. Um, I have to like make sure if I'm in a bad mood and I'm having a hard day, there's a part of me that's just like, I'm going to go see about all these people that hate me. I'm going to like go into that comment section and it feels like self harm. Like I'm feeling bad. So I'm going to harm myself even more by looking at all these. And so I have to make sure I don't do that. But one of the, one of like the narrative, one of the things that people don't like about me which I find like so interesting is that like there's these videos out there. They're just like, you know, we don't like therapy, Jeff. And it's sort of, it's kind of like, he's like, it's not that he's toxically positive, but he's more of like a toxic validator. Like he's just like validating everybody's feelings and emotions. And you know, and you know what? Not everybody should have their feelings and emotions validated. Uh, and so I was like, I will, I need to print that on a shirt. Toxic validator. Like, I, know, I, I was like, what's that shirt. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I love it. Like, I'll take it. Toxic validator. Uh huh. Which is funny because I think that, like, that is some bullshit. But it's like, as therapists, when we're like talking to our clients, we're doing a lot of validation Mm -hmm. so that they can, like, Mm. feel seen and understood and heard and all this stuff. Like, they didn't get that from their family or their parents or something. I understand. But there's also, like, I do challenge my clients and I'm like, trying to get them to grow and like what are you going to take responsibility for like yeah it's your fault that your parents did this but now it's your responsibility to like do something about it or not pass it down to your kids or whatever Mm -hmm. um but like you know i don't like i can't like put all that nuance into like 60 second videos or something so they're gonna like pick out all these things and think i'm a toxic validator and i'm okay with that (laughs) toxic validator Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about how that works when you're working with couples, because you were saying that you work with anxious attachment styles and codependency. And so how does that sort of play out when you're navigating those those rough waters of couples therapy? It's funny because the the did we talk about it right before we hit record uh, that the recent video where I'm like, it's a joke, but it's also <laughs> kind of not a joke where like those couples come in and they like tell their sides of the story mm-hmm. uh, and they like really want you to choose their side and they'll feel mm-hmm. so validated <laughs> if you, you can't just be like, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and let's yeah. be real for everybody listening in our heads. We are choosing sides. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> You're not. <laughs> yes, you are. Don't lie. I don't know. You know me. I'm like own your hundred percent. Both of you kids go to your corners. I don't know. I still think Thanks. it happens. I still think it happens in the beginning. There's we're human. Like there's no way that you don't even as a human sit there and be of like, course, okay, this is kind of bullshit, you know. And then you go back <laughs> okay. to your place of like, let's hold the tension of the opposites. Both can be true. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I just love that you tell them or that they can tell by your face that you're on one person's exactly. side. At least try to have a poker face about my being on the Do you side. though? Do you have a poker I face? I tried. No. Vanessa's like, oh, you have no poker not. face. You think you do. <laughs> There's... And it's, but I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll say the cliche bullshit that you two say, which is like, I'm not taking anyone's side. I'm taking the right. side of the relationship. And I want to just <laughs> fucking barf all over myself. Or, uh, <laughs> but like, but I, I can, like I can, like yeah. I am in a relationship advocate. Like I'm here to like heal this relationship with both of you. So hmm. we'll go ahead and do this. But it's like, it's a fun challenge and skill to like validate both of their experiences uh, and be like, you know, there's no room for objective reality in this conversation. You know, mm-hmm. we're just looking at like the subjective truths that you're talking about. And so it's always a really big challenge to be like, I don't fucking care about the quote unquote facts or 
your objective reality. Like we're just talking about like how can you be there for the other uh, person, and so, so it's kind of like an emotionally focused couples counseling sort of thing. Um, Love that. But that takes a long time mm-hmm. <laughs> to like mm-hmm. validate them, get them to validate each other, try to like stop being right. Ugh, it's such. A, it's also like, do you want to be right or do you want to be connected? Also, I want to bore fall <laughs> over myself every time I fucking say that. But it's but it's so good, and I have to say it all the time. You know what I mean? Mm. So I find it's, that it's my practice of validating couples usually comes in when I tell them both they're both being ridiculous. <laughs> That's usually my validation. Y'all are both fucking crazy, and let me tell you why. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't really like seeing couples that often anymore because I find that I am wildly activated by at least couples mm-hmm. that are in high conflict. This is like a new revelation of mine this last year. Danae loves it. Usually I actually end up having them go to Danae <laughs> after I hit my break. <laughs> she sends me her high conflict couples. I'm like, yes, I love yeah. them. I will take and them. I use it as fodder for my own therapy. I'm like, I love it. But also this is like, I want to crawl under my desk and cry after every one of these sessions. So I'm like, yeah. ooh, fascinating. More grist for my personal mill, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious to hear more about your work with the anxious attachment style. And here's why. why um, I was going to say, get, to, get both... to it today because you're, you're beating around a bush here. I don't know what bush this. I'm not beating around a bush. Um, well, no, but I think Vanessa and I both tend to run a little bit more avoidant. And we have this premise that, you know, the world, especially of psychology, tends to vilify the avoidant a little Rightly bit more so. than the anxious. And they should. You're <laughs> and I have that video. Like you were gonna are they an avoidant or are they an asshole? And I was like, you yeah. know what? I was I, like, oh, snap. It's like I was that. like, here's the thing. I'm actually not going to take offense to this because I, I agree <laughs> with a lot of these. <laughs> No, okay. Just for the record, I am joking, and avoidance <laughs> are like lovely people. And that video is good too because, like, the, an avoidant can be like really want to be in a relationship and do all the things. Mm-hmm. They're just getting flooded, whatever, and then they kind of like need their space. No big deal. An asshole is something that's totally different. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. because you're an avoidant, that doesn't make you an asshole. Although. <laughs> You might be an avoidant and an asshole. act like an asshole. You might also be an anxious and an asshole. I'm just going to say it. No, actually, it's not possible. I'm oh, an no, anxious and possible. we're just beautiful, lovely people lovely. that just want to emotionally connect. Yeah. Always. Always. <laughs> At all times. <laughs> Says the we love love. What's wrong with that? Um, sorry. Okay. But what was your question? I interrupted you, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I guess here's the thing. And... As a couples therapist, you understand, I am quite often like, we come into relationships at a very adversarial Mm -hmm. space a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Like, it's exactly what you just said. Like, we're fighting to be right. Mm -hmm. And I get to the point where I'm like, was there ever a point that you guys liked each other? (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, like, like venom in the room. And I guess, um, I wonder what you think as you work with couples. Like, what is the point of partnership at this point to you, meaning like, what are we here for to do with one another? Because I think sometimes we're getting it wrong. We think, I think that we have been taught our partner is responsible for doing our reparenting work, right? And most of the relational models, from my perspective, sort of reinforce that. Agreed. And what I find ends up happening is there's not a whole lot of eros and erotic longing for my parent that I am trying to get to reparent me through our relationship sure. the whole time. So how do we have both? How do we have, I'm safe with you, there's security, but also you're not my parent. And, and I, I still, still would fuck like you. to have... <laughs> An erotic charge, I would say, but that's Vanessa. Listen, 
I say all the time, like, I, I would mother like- you or I can want to have sex with you. Like, I can't do both. So you choose. Pick one. Pick one. So what do, what do you think, Jeff? Like, I'm just, I'm curious to hear. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is the solution, Jeff? Because I don't know. I just looked at it and goes, what is the purpose of relationships? I know. <laughs> I know. He's like, whoa. Somebody's having a way bigger existential it's crisis. Like, yeah, than- you're definitely an avoidant. I, that's coming through <laughs> loud and clear, and I love that for you. I'm dying. Vanessa's not kidding. You are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, you know what? I'm going to talk, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to, like, answer your question. Let's just see where this goes. There's, um, mm-hmm. but I think that you're right. That, like, most of, like, the stuff, like, the literature or theories or psychological bullshit that's out there kind of, like, encourages folks to kind of, like, lean on their partner a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And get, like, a lot or all of their or most of their, like, emotional needs met. Or if they're feeling like they need reassurance or validation and they're feeling insecure, like, how do you express that to your partner in order to, like, get that, you know, feeling of safety or whatever you need from your partner? And a lot of my videos, like Therapy Jeff videos, are talking about that, like, how to connect with your... But when I make videos about, like, how to self-soothe how to like not rely on your partner, how to like take care of your own shit, how to make it so that like you're not trying to heal all your childhood wounds through your relationship. I get a bunch of fucking uh, critical feedback about it. Um, Oh yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so where it's kind of like, you know, it's, so it's kind of like, you know what a lot of times, you know, and I'm like a white guy with all the privileges. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it's easy to be like, okay, this sounds like toxic uh, individualism. Or it sounds mm-hmm. like it's kind of you're kind of like this sort of like white supremacy, pull yourself up in the boots, like capitalism, like don't rely on anybody, sort of thing. And also like this Hollywood thing of like we think that like the person that doesn't have to rely on anybody is like the perfect healthy person, or like the person who just like goes and takes that trip by themselves is like that's such a romantic nice thing to do. You don't need any of that. Like the person who can just like be on their own. There's something mm-hmm. like really. I think a lot of people think that that's like, that's health, not relying mm-hmm. on people. So there's like, it's it's interesting because I feel like there's these two camps that are on like both sides of the spectrum and they get into like arguments together. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends like which way I'm leaning, but I'm typically leaning in the direction of like, if you're feeling like you're needy or you need to be soothed or you want to like work through emotional childhood wounds, go ahead and see if you can do that with your partner. If you can't, then go to your therapist Talk to anyone else in your community, do some fucking meditation or journaling or reading books or something. Um, But also, like, try to find a partner that's, like, up to do that. You know, like, Mm -hmm. if you're, like, coupling up with somebody who's, like, on the opposite end of your attachment style, like, this can be a healing relationship, fine. But there's probably going to have to be, like, a lot of compromise compromise that's, like, accepted. And you're not going to get all of those needs met. When it comes to, like, I want to fuck you like (laughs) i want to feel like that like sexual charge like a lot of that Mm -hmm. is sort of like the will we won't we the like i'm kind of like you know i'm not able to connect with you all the time like there's just sort of like the you feel kind of distant and then when we have sex that's when we can feel like really connected and really hot and really sexy like i get that they're sometimes like if there's like tension in the relationship that's like a really big turn on and when we Mm -hmm. feel like really securely attached like i don't feel like hopping in bed with you and so that's when you have to kind of like create the novelty 
just like be more adventurous, like mm-hmm. kind of push your boundaries a little bit when it comes to like sexy things or deliberately try to kind of like continue to flirt and turn each other on and, and do all that stuff. And it's not, it might not come from like a really natural or like organic place, but it's coming from a place of just like, well, I value a sexual, like a hot, sexy connection in my relationship. So I'm just going to kind of like deliberately try to create that energy, even though I feel really safe and secure and it's not kind of like coming out of me. You know what I mean? I have to say really quick today, because I know you've mm-hmm. got something you're going to jump in on too. <laughs> what I will say as, as like the woman and, and, you know, heteronormatively speaking, when I feel safe, I feel the mm. most turned on. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. safety, even as, as an avoidant, but safety to me is not suffocating. Safety to me is not like a parentified feeling. Safety to me, safety to me is in my partner feeling very present and grounded and attuned mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. creating kind of safety, like a container of safety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I feel that kind of safety, I actually do want to have sex with my partner. And I, I feel like there is maybe in our culture a disconnect between what safety actually means in a romantic relationship. Um, and mm. I would say the same thing from the woman, again, talking, you know, speaking heteronormatively, like woman to man, like we attempt to create safety by mothering, which obviously does the opposite to their sex drive. So um, I don't know. That's just what came up for me as I was like, it's funny you say that because I feel the most sexually charged when I feel the safest. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think like, I think it's, I think it is tricky for some folks to be like, okay, I feel like exactly like you're saying, like, I'll feel safe if you mother me. Yeah. <laughs> like mothering feels, like, creates safety. Yeah. Right. And that's not hot or sexy. No, it feels yeah. gross. So, <laughs> it feels gross. It's, <laughs> and it's okay if like your childhood wounds are coming up in relationship, as long as you're like remembering that like, uh, you can now like try to heal those wounds maybe in relationship if your partner like doesn't react like your mother or father or like mm. your caregiver or something like they are your peer and they're not going they're not like the people that like created this trauma in the first place so how can you have a corrective experience with them I love that mm-hmm. yeah because I think there's something in what creates the safety I hear you speaking to be is a little bit of this person actually sees me. But if I am using this person to sort of soothe my anxious attachment wound, I'm not actually seeing them. I'm just sort of using them to try to get the thing that I didn't get from that parental figure. Mm -hmm. But that's not actually about them. That's about me, right? Mm -hmm. So if I bring the focus back to what is my partner bringing to the surface for me to look at, Mm -hmm. um, can I, yes, share it with them, but not make them responsible for it. That's still my responsibility Mm -hmm. and maybe my therapist and maybe my community and all Mm -hmm. the other tools in our toolkit. But then I'm actually able to see that person and be present with them, which hopefully will bring that erotic charge back in. Right. Right. Exactly. And there's so many, like so many times when like in my relationship and couples sessions, like there's one person that's like asking for reassurance. The other person is providing that reassurance and the one who wants the reassurance is just like nope this isn't it you're not giving enough of it mm-hmm. which is like if you're gonna ask for reassurance you have to fucking accept the goddamn yes. reassurance listen. and listen <laughs> speak on it listen <laughs> and yes. if it's not enough then we need to like have your partner leave and have your mom come in like because this is that's what's going on here right um and so Preach. sometimes if i'm like 
if I'm even like, I sometimes I'm just like a little challenging, a little like frustrated in a professional way. And I'm just like, accept this reassurance. Look what they're doing. This is amazing. And you're like, actually like you want like the unconditional love that your mom or dad never gave you that they probably never would have been able to fucking give you in the first place. Anyway. Anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think we agree. I think we agree. <laughs> I just, you know, I need to clarify because some yeah. of the videos, sometimes I feel like you're coming for the avoidance. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know who I'm coming for? Actually, I'm coming for the secure folks that Those are so suckers. Who are these unicorns? Are yeah. they Like, where are they? I call them unicorns. Like, Jesse, they're boring. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's <laughs> making a TV show about you or a movie based on you. You're, like, offering nothing to us. There's no drama That's there. True. There's no fodder. There's no drama. <laughs> exactly. No. <laughs> I feel like more avoidance need to date avoidance and more anxious attachments need to... I'm just curious what happens because somehow we always find each other and then just create... I guess right. we need friction. I don't know. Yeah. But... I dated an avoidant and... It was great because we were long distance, like half the relationship. But then once I wanted, once I actually started doing the work and going to therapy and being like, oh, I actually think I want a deeper connection. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no. This is not what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't mm-hmm. do deeper connection. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, man. All right. Well, guess I got to go find yeah. an anxious now. <laughs> I And I typically date anxious people. The problem is that like, uh, there's like so much over-processing that, that can happen. Uh. Where it's just like, even for me, it's fucking exhausting. Like, I can't take it anymore. I mean, my partner's a therapist, so it's a lot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, can we just stop talking? I'm oh, so God. sick of talking. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I love it. So, well. okay, I'm looking at the time. We have a lightning yeah. round of questions, but I also really want to talk about this one thing really quick before we go to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try to make this very condensed. So... One of the things I was thinking about before you got on was, well, there's, there's two things I want to cover. I'm going to try to get to the one. This kind of landscape, this social media landscape, because we were kind of talking about a little bit beforehand of therapy has become accessible to everyone, right? But we even talked about it a little bit on, on TikTok. It's, it's a different vibe. The people like mm. come for you in a way that is very different than on Instagram. Um, mm. And by the way, I am hella feisty in my comments on TikTok because I'm like, oh, you're going to come for me? I'll fucking come back. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Therapist or not, <laughs> right? Because uh-huh. um, I'm like, you're not in my, like, you're not my community. Clearly, you're here right. to just stoke right. a fire. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which feels very different than Instagram. So I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what the real question is other than just getting your thoughts on this, this landscape we've created with, with, you know, technology, apps, social media, allowing people to have more access, but also it feels a little dangerous sometimes. Um, you know, I don't know that it's mm-hmm. actually as helpful or as healing as maybe the intention was. I agree. I don't know. You know, like, and we all say like, TikTok is in therapy or Instagram is in therapy. Like we're, we're all very clear about that. But like the content that we create is therapeutic, mm-hmm. you know, like people do mm-hmm. get a lot out of it. Um, however, it's, you know, lacking a ton of nuance and it's not specific to that person. Um, and they might kind of like, I especially don't like the sort of like the videos of like diagnosing people like you have mm-hmm. ADHD or you have narcissism mm-hmm. or whatever. It's just like, ugh, like that is like. I have to have many personal conversations with my clients before I get to a diagnosis, you know? So, and then sometimes they like wear it as a badge or they act it out and it's not, I don't know. There's, there's, that's a whole thing. Um, 
But I do like how therapy does feel more accessible. I I want to believe that like the people that are viewing my content are critical thinkers and that they'll take what applies to them and they'll swipe away from things that don't apply to them. And I think a lot of them do do that, but not everybody does that. Um, So there might be like inadvertent harm or misunderstanding because of the content that I'm putting out there. But I think that there's like such a net positive that it's okay. Um, Then there's like the accessibility stuff with like the therapy apps like Talkspace Mm -hmm. or Cerebral and stuff. And it's like, it's interesting because they like Silicon Valley, like they figured out how to make money off of mental health. And they're just like, okay, now we're going to like make apps in order to like get more money. Like the investors are investing in us and we have to like hit this bottom line and be profitable. Mm -hmm. And they created all these campaigns to destigmatize therapy. So like Mm -hmm. finally, like the, like billions of dollars are put into this marketing all over the place to destigmatize therapy and it worked in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's made a huge impact. So like, that's amazing. I love that. But it's because of capitalism. Yeah. But it, you know, mm-hmm. it's because of like, we're going to destigmatize therapy only because we have figured out how to make money from it. And then, oh, by the way, we actually haven't figured out how to make money because like none of those apps have ever been profitable ever. Like you think maybe like they're collecting like a bunch of clients and people are paying the fees, but like they, they're having a hard time attracting therapists because therapists don't like to work for those apps. They don't get paid very well or they get paid Mm -hmm. too hard or there's like some funky word count they can't go over or there's like really weird shit or there's like privacy Mm -hmm. policies that they don't agree with and yada, yada. So like, um, there's actually like, a lot of problematic things about these therapy apps that are out there now and they're like Mm. totally missing the mark and I predict that they're all just going to like go bankrupt and like Mm. all the investors are going to lose all the money that they've invested but it's probably like a good test to see like how to do it this is how not to do it and there's probably is a better way to do it but we haven't figured out how to do that like how to pay the therapists enough or like a living wage at least and then how to like control quality of care because mm-hmm. like there's a lot of like that that's really lacking how to make it so that like you don't have to sell the like mental health data that you're collecting to third party advertisers to make extra money because mm-hmm. you can't make enough money by just providing services um there's just there's so much that goes into it although you know like it is very accessible and that's yeah. really great um but there's yeah I have a lot of feelings about it. How do you all feel about it? <laughs> it's so complicated, you yeah. know, because I feel like <clears throat> you really spoke to something I feel similarly about. I feel torn a lot of times with some of the social media, um, you know, personal development and therapy spaces, because what I find ends up happening with clients a lot is there's just like a lot of pathologizing myself and like this person said this and I think I have this and I'm like constantly I'm broken and I need to like, I just need to always be in the space of attempting to fix. And I don't love that aspect, but I do think to your point, there's been a lot of normalization of just being curious about myself and being Mm -hmm. in process with like what's coming up for me and even my emotional landscape. Um, But I, yeah, I think I didn't realize as much about, the apps mm-hmm. that you're saying. Um, and I think that's really problematic. You know, I think a lot of people in community mental health that I work with um, really struggle with, 
yes, we make things accessible, but then we don't have the capacity to support the people that we've made this accessible to. So we bring a whole bunch of people in, we do a whole bunch of intakes, and then we don't have the time to sort of circle back and support these people. And Mm -hmm. that becomes heartbreaking for Mm -hmm. those that are attempting to provide that support. And so I don't know what the solution is, but I do think that we as a country need to prioritize like, I don't know, just like what we're subsidizing a little bit more maybe, you know, and that we need to prioritize mental health in that way somehow. Cause there are countries where like, this is just something we support people with across the board. Right. And, and what would it look like for us to create some sort of structure around that? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to get like these big time investors and capitalism, like out of the equation, whether it's, you Mm -hmm. know, Medicare for all or whatever, like, Mm Um, insurance companies actually like, you know, giving all the benefits, all the mental health benefits, although, you know, they also have bottom lines, like they don't want to, they don't have to pay therapists and therapists aren't like good enough at like grouping together and like making a stand. We need a union. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, we do. But those Jeff, could you organize that? I feel like you're really good at creating things. (laughs) I thought about it. So you can start a union. It's called like an individual practice association. Doctors have it. Dentists have it. They know what they're fucking doing. They get paid a shitload of money. Therapists can do it. I've tried to do it locally in Oregon. It is a horrible, time-consuming, incredibly Mm. expensive process. Like... I can't do it alone. Even like a group of 10 therapists, we would not be able to do it alone. There needs to be like people that we hire out that like get paid a bunch of money in order to create these associations so that we can have the bargaining power to go up against these like huge insurance companies that Mm -hmm. the doctors and dentists already figured out and hospitals have figured it out, you know, but like insurance companies don't want us to do this. They know that they'd have to pay a ton more money. So they're like stopping us at every track. And like therapists are just like typically bad business people. Like we don't know how to get our shit together. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anybody who's listening to, I just will say I've heard so many frustrated, you know, I've gotten so many frustrated DMs and just emails, like the expense of therapy and how hard it is Mm. to find a therapist. And, you know, if anything, I hope this conversation helps you understand that, like, we're actually in the frustration with you. You know, I mm. understand, like, 225, 275, 200, that's a lot of money for, you know, many, most people in this country for a session. And a lot of insurance companies want to pay therapists $25 for their hour. And it's not mm-hmm. a living wage, right? And mm-hmm. so, just hear me when I say we're all in this together and a lot of us are trying to figure out ways to make it as accessible as possible, right? While still being able to survive and like put food on the table for our families. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's not like us against you. It really is like we're all in this together and it's really us against them, i.e. the insurance companies and all the people who are kind of, you know, making these Mm -hmm. rules. So anyway. Yeah, the only, so I charge on like a very generous sliding scale, like between like zero and $40. And the only way I'm able to do that is because I make all of my income outside of my therapy practice. Right. <laughs> like, right. I had to be like, fine, I'm not going to make any money here in my practice, which is like, I'm happy to give like almost free therapy to all my clients. But that's only because I'm like hustling outside of it. On the like, side. That's a way to do it. And it's mm-hmm. a ridiculous way to do it. You know what I mean? But this um, is the kind of shit that yeah, therapists have to do. It's the kind of shit that we have to do. And I just want you all to know that I'm amazing. I'm so generous. Like, do you see <laughs> what I'm doing for you? I'm the best therapist there is, obviously. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. So oh, good. Well, okay. Feel Let's like... do our lightning round. Yes. All right. So the first question is, Jeff, who have been your greatest teachers, mentors, people who have impacted your journey up to this point, whether they're people you know, or just their work has really been impactful? Oh, God. Well, you know, I'm going to give credit to my mom, even though mm. she doesn't deserve it. Um <laughs> But she does, you know, because like, if it wasn't for her, then I wouldn't have like gone into therapy. And yes, Mm -hmm. part of it was to like, figure out how to like connect with her. But she did make therapy look really interesting. When I was a kid growing up, I was like, this is so cool that you get to just like, help people try to solve their problems. That sounds Mm -hmm. fun. Um, There was also like one supervisor I had at the very beginning of my career when I first moved to Portland, and I got my first mental health job. And I was working at this Mm. crisis line and was very difficult and overwhelming. And I was like trying to like create a union at this crisis. It was a for profit crisis line. So Uh uh don't come at me. Uh, (laughs) And the supervisor kindly kind of like took me to the side and she was like, Hey, you're acting like a dick. You're acting like a teenager. This isn't going to work. You're amazing, but you got to drop this shit. And it was like, she said it in like a very loving way. And I like really respected her. And she was also, she went to Naropa. Do you know that college? Mm-hmm. Like in Naropa? Where, so she's like basically a Zen master monk, yep. you know, that's just like the most grounded thing in the world. And so when she said this to me, it like really hit me. And I was like, okay. I got to stop doing this. I got to stop acting like a little turd. It's not cute anymore. It was like developmentally appropriate when I was a teenager, maybe like really early 20s, but not anymore. So her name is Anne-Marie Benjamin, and she's just, she's a rock star. Mm -hmm. I love it. That inner adolescent, man, it gets us in a lot of trouble sometimes. It does. (laughs) It yeah. does. So curious what our kids are going to think about us as therapists. We, I know. Oof. We'll see. I don't know if I want to know. Um, <laughs> I don't want to think about that. So the second question is really this idea of flow, right? Like what what is flow for you? What are you doing when you find yourself blink your eyes and like six hours have gone by? Hmm. Um, that typically happens with my clients. So, and I, I see clients like back to back to back to back. So I'll see like six clients in a day and it'll just be six clients in a row. And it feels like I'm binging my favorite reality show that I actually get to influence. And I like, care <laughs> so much about the, them and the characters in their life. Uh, and those sessions just go by so quickly for me. Like those 50 minute sessions feel like 15 minute sessions. And I just sort of drop in where I'm just like not really like thinking too hard or analyzing too much. I'm just sort of like in the moment feels like I'm kind of like channeling the information that I need to be giving them. And I go on this like whole emotional roller coaster with them where we can be like laughing or crying or having these aha moments. So it's the clients I see back to back to back to back to back on my client days. That feels so good. And I feel like I'm in the flow. I love, I love that. that. We haven't had that answer before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. True therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, what breaks your heart, Jeff? Uh, what breaks my heart? Um, well, uh, recently it's been, um, I for some reason, a lot of my clients over the almost 20 years that I've been a therapist Um, I've like attracted, and this is not a specialty of mine, but like I've attracted lots of clients that have like gone through abortions. And when I was like a baby therapist, I was doing my best to be there with them. 
counsel them through that. I think I did good enough. Um, but um, recently, after kind of like going through my own experience with abortion and what that uh, like emotional process was, I kind of like realized that I, I, I'm not like mad at myself for not being like a better therapist to my clients mm-hmm. that were going through abortion. I was just like, oh, I, I did not understand what they went through and the heartbreak that they were feeling and the grief of going through an abortion. So like these days, just like these last few weeks, I like think back on all my clients that I'm no longer seeing anymore that have like, that are like way in the past mm-hmm. where I felt like, Ugh, I wish I would have had this lived experience. Obviously there's like nothing I can do about it, but I feel like they could have gotten better counseling from somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it breaks my heart that I like, wasn't, I probably wasn't the best match for them. Maybe I was, I don't know. I know I'm like kind of being hard on myself here, but like, does that ever happen to you where you like look back on like past clients? You're just like, Oh fuck, I've learned so much. I feel that about parenting. Like now that I have a kid and you know, she's three and I'm like in the trenches, I look back Mm -hmm. to so many of my clients, especially my female clients who had kids, little kids, what they were struggling with. And I, mm-hmm. same, long ago clients, people I don't see anymore that I'm like, mm. ooh, I would have showed up so differently if I had been yeah. a parent at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it breaks my heart that I wasn't able to show up in that way, even though there was absolutely no way I could have shown up in that way. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And I just want to throw in, I'm sure that there are ways that you're not giving yourself enough credit for the space that you held and that yeah. just having someone present in the way that I... I can just tell you health space probably did so much more than you even know, you know? Yeah. That's really sweet. I mean, it's a good reminder. I have to remind myself of that all the time. Denise Mm -hmm. good with the ands. Yeah. (laughs) 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 And then our last question is Mm -hmm. what is your favorite food? (laughs) Um, Sloppy Joe's. Oh, I have not had a sloppy Joe. Uh, sloppy Joe's. I make really good sloppy Joe's and they're so sloppy and <laughs> they're like so a, easy to make. Like some Midwestern. So sloppy. Like, yeah, it is. Like I not an LA it. boy so thing good. to say. He grew up from Santa Monica talking about sloppy Joe's. What? <laughs> but growing it. up in Santa Monica, I went to Roosevelt Elementary School and our like once a week we got served sloppy, sloppy joes Joe from the lunch lady. Yeah. Hey. And I looked forward to it all the fucking time. That is my one memory from elementary <laughs> school. And it is like the only thing I know how to make. And I don't care how much of a bachelor that makes me. Um, <laughs> it is delicious. Those sloppy joes last three to four days as well. The image so. of you as a little kid, just like with your tray, uber excited for uh, that sloppy joe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Well, Jeff, Mm -hmm. Vanessa was not kidding. You are like pure gold. I am so grateful that I got to meet you. Thanks for coming on. And thank you for all of the content you're creating and supporting others with. I think it's it's really um, just a benefit to so many people. And I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on. This was really fun. Thank you, Jeff. We really appreciate it. Um, where can our people find you? I mean, I, have, I feel silly even saying that because I'm sure they already know you. <laughs> you guys already follow. Anyway. <laughs> sure. 
Uh, they can find me at Therapy Jeff on Instagram and TikTok. You can also find Therapy Jeff on Patreon. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where I put just sort of like tons of extra content. I usually have something to say about every little 60-second video I post. So I like will talk for like 10 or so minutes about every video on oh, Patreon. Nice. And you get the, you get like an even more like personal, friendly, like off the cuff kind of like Jeff in Patreon. So or therapyjeff.com. I don't know. Google Therapy Jeff. You'll find me. <laughs> He's everywhere. Even on his t shirts. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. <laughs>